Welcome to Season 6 of American Political History, The Institution of Slavery, Rome. With the setting of the Greek Golden Age came the rise of the Romans. Rome was, at first, a startup power, conquering southern Italy and then Greece by 272 BC. Rome's real first test would be against Carthage in the Punic War starting in 264 BC. Rome would eventually conquer Carthage and become the dominant power in the Mediterranean. With war, labor was needed on the farms of Italy, the numbers of slaves increased, and with the conquest, the numbers of slaves within the Roman economy surged. A Roman general's success was partially measured in the amount of plunder that they returned to Rome, and that plunder's greatest currency was slaves. General Polis sold 150,000 slaves taken from 70 Greek towns. Scipio sold 50,000 Carthaginians into slavery. Marius, who later fought Germanic tribes, took 90,000 in one campaign and 60,000 in another. But all of them paled in comparison to Julius Caesar. It is estimated that he captured and enslaved somewhere around 500,000 Gauls in his nine-year campaign in the north. Roman armies would get so bogged down by their human cargo that slave traders would just follow the Roman armies and offer to buy their slaves off them right there on the spot. If the Roman legions was not returning home, it was logistically much easier for them to exchange coins for slaves. Coins didn't need to be fed out on the edge of the wilderness. To give Roman slavery some historical scale, It is estimated that during the reign of Trajan, Rome imported more slaves in 25 years than the total number of African slaves that were exported in 150 years in the transatlantic slave trade. And Rome would continue to consume slaves for centuries. Part of Rome's insatiable thirst for slaves is that it's estimated that the slaves in the Roman economy had an average life expectancy of 18 years. The town center would be organized like cattle fairs. An auction block would be set up. Chain gangs of men, women, and children who were stripped, measured with placards hanging from their necks. Paraded on a stage, the auctioneer would bark out prices. Roman law required slavers disclose all known defects for slaves that they sold. Sales contracts would list a name, the nationality, age, and current health status of the potential new slave. Cato the Elder, who was a great figure in the Roman Republic era, wrote about his preference to purchase young slaves so that he could train and form them for himself. Cato made part of his fortune selling trained slaves to other Roman estates. Owning a slave was a status symbol in Roman society. Even those that didn't own land needed to own at least a couple of slaves to be considered wealthy. The Roman culture started developing large plantation slavery in the 2nd century. The Roman philosopher Seneca would write that the peasantry serving in the army had to sell their holdings to the plantation owners because they could not afford the price of taxes. By the end of the century, Roman farming was all enormous slave plantations, which focused on growing cash crops like wine and olives instead of the traditional cereals and vegetables. To give these plantations some scale, a Roman plantation owner's will listed his wealth as 4,117 slaves, 7,200 oxen, and 250,000 other small animals. 
Cato would write a treatise that advised for the proper operation of slave estates. Slaves should be neither cowed nor high-spirited. Your slaves should be overseen by a slave who is dependable, an experienced field hand, and able to read and write. Further, it is especially important that this foreman must not only give orders, but also take part in the work, so that his subordinates may follow his example. Your foreman should be made more zealous by reward. They must have a bit of prosperity of the plantation if it is to be successful. If your foreman is successful, let them choose a fellow slave to bear them children, for their own children will make them more dependable and focused on the continued success of the plantation. Give only your foremans a family, fine clothing, and good food. It will make it clear to the other slaves what it takes to get these rewards, lifelong dependability, motivation, loyalty to the plantation. Also, by structuring your motivation so that only your foreman is allowed to have children, this avoids the problem of too many young dependents within one plantation. Additional slaves can always be purchased. Child slaves are just an expense that should be left to someone else. Slave labor would grow from just untrained labor working the farms or factory settings to slaves being the artists, the surgeons, the educators, and all sorts of craftsmen. Romans would seek out educated Greeks in specific to teach their children primary schooling. As the demand and reliance on skilled slaves increased, many skilled slaves started owning their own slaves for their menial labor tasks. The pervasiveness of slave labor meant there was no economic incentives for industrialization within the Roman society. Why invest in more efficient factories and tools when one can simply just purchase more slaves in an ever-growing size of your plantation? But we cannot discuss Roman slavery without discussing the most famous slave in the Western world. That is, of course, the gladiator. Most often, they were condemned criminals or slaves from recent wars given as tribute to the emperor. The gladiators would fight exotic animals, they would stage reenactments of famous Roman battles, and, of course, duels between them, which often led to the death of the gladiator. Famous gladiators would be renowned within the Roman Empire. They would have poets tell of their heroism. Pictures of their portraits would be all over the Roman cities. They were the rock stars of the Roman Empire, at least the ones that lived long enough to become famous. Wealthy Romans would establish their own gladiatorial academies, which were much like prized horse racing traditions today. These academies would have physicians and surgeons and whatever else was needed to produce a gladiator of renown. The ones that did not or could not achieve this were offered to be killed in the arena. These coliseums were the size of modern stadiums, seating over 45,000 people with full orchestras, entertainers, and of course the, the main event gladiators. The festivities could last for days on end. It is said that Emperor Augustus's inaugural games used 10,000 slaves to put on the show. Before the games, the gladiators would sit down for a last ceremonial meal, where the public would walk by to view their favorites like some weird Roman red carpet event before an MMA match. Roman views on slavery 
slowly evolved as the empire changed over time. Varro, writing a century after Cato, promoted the idea that if you treat your slave better, they are more content, then they will be more productive for you. The cultural customs of the master ebbed and flowed over time. Roman masters, like many after them, would write about how they had evolved slavery into a more enlightened form. But the slave in the Roman system was still not a person, had no legal rights, and still could be exploited to the maximum whim of their masters, regardless of whatever evolution was claimed. There are many Roman records of slaves committing suicide. Seneca would ponder why so few. Why should any slave remain alive? Why would anyone remain a slave? And there lies one of the oldest stereotypes or tropes of slavery. That the universe or God or nature had ordained a slave into a position of slavery because of some inborn trait of submissiveness. That the slave's internal nature themselves is to blame for their enslavement. They are justly enslaved. Can't you see it? A genuine free person would not endure the indignity of slavery. Roman slave culture often punished the whole slave unit or group. If a slave killed their master, the law demanded all of that master's slaves be killed. When the Roman Senate debated this law, they said, This is a necessary group punishment, or a master could never be safe from his slaves. Some emperors forbid particular slave practices they personally disliked. Augustus worried about the economic effects of masters freeing their old and infirm slaves into the streets of Roman cities, which was becoming burdensome for the state. So he set the earliest age of manumission at 30, a very old age for a Roman slave, and manumission could only happen at the time of the master's death, and his estate could only free a hundred slaves. Claudius prevented masters from killing or kicking off the plantation their sick slaves. Emperor Hadrian demanded a stop to the killing of slaves without judicial authority and ended the practice of slave prostitutes. Before Emperor Hadrian, female slaves and attractive young men were widely exploited by their masters as prostitutes to generate extra income for the plantation. Emperor Pius made owners liable for the murder of their own slaves. Emperor Diocletian forbid the exposure of infant slaves to death when the masters did not want to pay for them. And there were a few voices in Roman history that were against slavery, as faint as they were. Forentinus wrote at the end of the 2nd century that slavery was an institution of law common to all peoples, which violate the law of nature by placing a subject under the mastery of another. But do not confuse a few occasional dissenting opinions as powerful voices in Roman culture or some sort of movement to abolish slavery within the Roman economic and political systems. That never happened. Early Roman slaves had some slim chance for manumission. A plantation in hard times might reduce costs by ridding themselves of unsellable or unproductive slaves. Grateful masters might free a few chosen slaves as the master's dying wish for their faithful slaves. 
But much of the time, manumission was given after the master had exploited a slave. A broken laborer or an old, worn-out prostitute would be given manumission so the master could float on a cloud of virtue for his good deed. As Roman culture started exercising manumission more and more, the government would place a 5% tax on manumission of slaves. This tax would become a sizable source of revenue for the imperial government. Even when freed, though, the status of a Roman citizen was restricted. It took two generations for a slave to be Romanized and eligible for the status of citizen. Without the protection of citizen status, a freed slave would still be reliant on having a patron, who would normally be their former master. If their now free slave failed on their duty to the patron, then they could be put back into slavery as punishment for the negligence to the patron. So freedom was not necessarily freedom. In the second century, the Roman Senate dealt with another problem, runaway slaves. The Senate changed the laws so that all runaways should be returned to their masters, requiring that any runaway be reported to the nearest magistrate. They created a new industry of slave catchers. These slave catchers were given the right to search other people's property, and the local authorities were required to aid slave catchers wherever possible. One slave catcher's advertisement is engraved into a stone on the side of the road, in which they claim to have returned 917 runaway slaves to their owners as proof of their effectiveness. When slaves organized revolts in the Roman Empire, they were put down by the Roman legions. All of the slaves would be gruesomely killed or given the most brutal work so to quickly kill them. In Roman history, there would be many slave revolts, some even trying to form their own city-states, all of which would be brutally oppressed by the Roman authorities. Even the greatest slave revolt in Roman history, made famous in cinema by Spartacus, ends with each escaped slave being crucified and placed along the road for miles all the way back to Rome. A public projection of Roman power and the consequence to anyone who chose to revolt against the power of the Roman state. Thank you for listening to this episode of American Political History. If you want to support the show, please subscribe and leave a five-star rating, and share this show with someone you think would enjoy listening. Thank you again, and until next time.